I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. The first of the shorter letters right after the two to Corinth and and right before the letter to the Ephesians. You have a moment as you look for it, uh, because I'd like to introduce the text first. Uh, You all don't know this, but my family does, and quite a few of my friends, but I have a real love of cycling. I don't say biking because people assume there's a motor, but uh, I prefer a pedal bike, actually. And uh, I have three bikes at the moment I'm going to just tell you about. I have a road bike. It's uh, a touring bike. One of my kids and her husband gave me a few years ago, and it it is just a joy to ride, that thing. Hardly an effort, effort at all. One of these days, I'm going to do that C to C bike thing, but then I'd need 10 weeks off in the summer, so you could send letters to Sunrise. Or the other bike I have, I've had for a long time. Uh, I've had it for probably 20 years, and it doesn't even look like the bike that I first bought because I've worn everything out on it, so I've rebuilt it. Everything but the frame is new, pretty much, and, uh, and I'll probably hold on to that bike for a long time. It's just kind of my get-around-town bike. And then the newest one I have is this 1948 Roadster. It's a, it's a CCM model. It was red. It kind of got beat up a little bit. And my wife found it in a thrift store, and I thought, eh. so, but I, we bought it. And so it's currently in pieces. I'm rebuilding it, and you've got to find it. I found the patent, the 1938 patent for the wheel mechanism. It's very exciting. But you have to be a bike enthusiast, so I'll keep moving. Um, I like bikes. I like them a lot. I like riding them. I like fixing them. I like finding unusual bikes. Uh, But it wasn't always that way. I didn't learn how to ride a bike until I was at least eight, probably ten years old. Uh, I had a lot of older siblings, and that was the cause of the problem. I'm quite convinced. See, they tried to help me learn how to ride a bike. And uh, we lived on a little bit of a hill, and what they thought would work was uh, hold the back end of the bike and get me to sit on it and then push. And then I'd sail down the hill, not really knowing how to stop. I thought two or three crash landings later, uh, biking really wasn't a whole lot of fun. And so the truth was, for me, it didn't really matter what others said about riding a bike or how great they thought it was or how easy it was. Clearly, it was not easy. Uh, I just needed to take things at my own pace. I needed to try to figure it out. Uh, Turns out I learned how to ride a bike on a basketball court at our elementary school. Level ground, much better. And and eventually, I overcame my fear, my hesitation, and never looked back, as they say. And that's just an example of something that a guy named Aristotle, commented on when it comes to certain things in life. He said that the things in life you need to learn how to do before you do them, you learn by doing them. And I thought, yeah. I had to actually ride to learn how to ride. I had to do it in order to know how to do it. And that would, of course, mean trial and error and the odd crash landing. And I've discovered that that truth is not only there for learning how to ride a bicycle, but in many other things as well. So the passage tonight comes from uh, the letter to the Galatians, as I mentioned. 
And the letter in general is trying to explain who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he will do in history. It's trying to explain that for those who are in, who are in Christ as disciples of Jesus, their lives, goals, and motives are being formed and reformed and transformed as a result of grace. And too often, these letters are read as a new form of the law. We have to do a bunch of stuff in order for God to love us, accept us, and so on. We have to do a bunch of stuff in order to deserve grace. And the letter to the Galatians, above all the others, wants absolutely nothing to do with that point of view. In fact, it's the opposite. It is by grace and grace alone. And then there is a response. So, Let's read uh, together. I will read for you. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. We're going to focus on verses 9 and 10. Uh, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he or she is someone when they are not, uh, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. As I said, our main focus is on verse 9 and 10, but before we get there, we should notice a couple of things going on in verses 1 to 8. And even if you've not read this passage before or heard it, I think it's pretty clear that this passage is describing something pretty radical, pretty, pretty different. Uh, the passage, I think, is, is also quite inviting. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite comforting, and it's challenging all at the same time. I hope you would agree. It talks about gentle correction, about caring, community, about support, honesty, taking sin seriously, about being authentic in the faith life uh, with faults as well as successes. Not to mention the reminder of eternal life. All the result of this amazing grace, this wondrous grace. So Paul is describing at this point in the letter a new kind of community where the law takes second place to grace. Grace comes first. He's explaining the kind of community that is formed when people take Christ seriously. The kind of community that is a joy to be a part of and very attractive to those who are on the outside. A spirit-led community showing the world who God is, what God is like, and what the future looks like. And I think that sounds pretty good. And we may wonder, well, how does it happen? How does it come about? 
because it sure doesn't happen by accident. And some of us have experienced Christ-centered community or a church that isn't very much like what we're talking about. And here's another reality. See, I as a preacher or anyone else who would read this passage and talk about it can explain within it over and over again, but the words alone are not going to make the difference. Words don't convince anyone that such community exists or that they can be a part of it. The tipping point when it comes to this new community is the Spirit of God giving a desire, leading, guiding. And then the person in question making space to try it out, find their way, get their balance. Just like with my little story about learning how to ride, Christ-centered community is one of those things in life you learn how to do by doing it. It's not automatic. And that's why we're focusing on verses 9 and 10, because they describe sort of the classroom of this new community, of this Christ-centered kind of focus comes about. I'll remind you the, the words there, the verses. Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. Just so we're not confused, Paul, the human author, knows as well as anyone, and probably better than most, that salvation is a free gift and that good works are a response to that gift, not a way to earn it. But he has a passion to talk about believers doing good because he sees the big picture the potential of what grace-filled people can do in Jesus' name, the kind of impact that that makes. So he urges disciples of Jesus to do good. And what that phrase means here and everywhere else in the Bible, including Jesus' teaching, doing good means that whatever anyone does, whatever is done, from business deals to home and family life to settling arguments, All of that is done in a way that honors God and shows God's leading in that person's life. And so very practically, and Paul covers this earlier in Galatians and in other letters, and so the the rest of the Bible does as well, it means learning to choose to love over hate. It means to choose generosity over great personal wealth. Compassion for the weak, the poor, and the underachiever, rather than contempt for others made in God's image. It means being cheated rather than taking the person who's cheated you to court and to sue them. It means choosing forgiveness over revenge or holding a grudge. It means choosing mercy over cold justice. There's an incredible difference between how the world works and how this Christ-centered community works. And there's lots of hard choices that, that give plenty of opportunities for God's people to get it right. 
Because Jesus said life with him is completely different in certain respects than life without him. Because the basic point of view is different. Listen to this from Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. That's stunning. Love your enemies, and then give money to your enemies without expecting anything back. There are many people who who really struggle with the idea of social welfare. Those to strangers. Jesus is saying on the personal level, just give it away. And interestingly, neither Luke, Jesus speaking in Luke, nor Galatians makes any real distinction between doing good to those who belong to the family of believers and those who don't. Do good to all people. And yes, it says especially to those in the church, but it's easy to make especially to those who are also in the family of faith to change that word especially into only. But it's not there. There's really no distinction. It's do good to all. Not just the ones who are like us. Not just the ones who treat us well. Not just the ones who've done something nice for us first. All people. So as believers put this into practice, they, as the text says, sow the Spirit. And there's no question that that sowing, that learning, provides a different way of looking at the world. The world, in a certain sense, is not an enemy. It's just a mess, a big mess. broken by sin, by suffering, by the fall. Things are not the way they should be. Creation is groaning. And people, people aren't enemies either. In Ephesians 6, the very next letter, we're told that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but spiritual forces that, yes, move and motivate people, But those who live in spiritual darkness are in some respects acting under the influence. There's a lot of hurt and harm in the world that we as believing people face and are victim of. Just as there's a lot of hurt and harm that others are also harmed by. It's all a mess. A mess that God promises to clean up in good time. But in the meantime, in the time when Galatians was written, the time that we live, in the time that is right now, in spite of all that hardship, Jesus' disciples are called to never become weary in doing good because doing good is what life with Christ is all about now and into the future. Doing good in Jesus' name is a powerful proof of who God is, what God is about. It's the visible, physical expression of God's mercy in the world, of God's compassion, of God's love, 
that the world needs, where does our hope come from? Seeing God at work, trusting the promises of God. Doing good in Jesus' name is the testimony of a God who cares. And his work that has been seen around the world continues to change hearts, continues to open eyes, continues to change lives. God's people are called to be living examples of this different way of life, a way of life that will be full and complete in the resurrection life in the kingdom. So for those who want that new community now, a living faith, a sense of purpose beyond, the invitation is to do the things now and to do them by grace as you learn to do them for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.